Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I always think about on Memorial Day that we're the only ones who didn't get invited somewhere, so it's good. <laughs> I'm glad y'all are here, though. Um, but anyway, uh, excited to continue the series um, this week on pride. This is week four, and if you've been here for some of this, you know we've taken one letter from the word pride and talked about some aspect of pride. Uh, each week. And so we started out with I and standing for insecurity. Uh, then we looked at P with pretending and hypocrisy. And then R was running and how uh, doubt and, and uh, leads into that insecurity and causes us to oftentimes run from God rather than running to God. Um, today, we're going to look at D and that stands for destruction. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have a Bible or you want to look on your phone, it'll also be on the screen. You can turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and uh, this is where we're going to be. We're going to look at this chapter of Scripture today. To start out with, I want to read the first three verses, and then we're going to jump over to verse 33 and read down to verse 42. So this psalm is written uh, as a celebration song, as a psalm, a psalm of remembrance for the, the Israelites who were brought out of, are taken into exile because of unfaithfulness, but then God brought them back from exile. Um, and so this is really the context of this psalm. And so let's read it and check it out, um, and we'll get into it and talk about this issue of pride. And so it says in verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Then over to verse 33, it says, He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they found a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed the, these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and its truth today. Lord, I pray today our eyes would be opened. Lord, just as Chase said, let us see Jesus more clearly. Let us see you more clearly, Father, that we could know your character, your nature, to see more your love for us, that our hearts would worship from a place of seeing who you are and what you've done. Lord, forgive us for the times that we haven't acknowledged you. And God, I pray that our lives would find rhythms that are in constant remembrance of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we love you and thank you for your unfailing love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'll be honest with you this morning. For 
this whole week, my heart's been really heavy in a lot of ways, even so much so that uh, Susan's asked me a lot of times, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I really couldn't put my finger on any one thing, but there's just been so much stuff going on. Uh, some things within the church and hurting for some people, but things in the world around us too. And you've all heard and seen the, the, the horror of the shooting in Texas. And when I think about these elementary kids who were shot for no reason and we see this evil that exists in our world and manifested itself that day, there's all emotions that are stirred in that. And then I think about even with all of the stuff going on right now in, in our country over abortion and, and what's happening there and this battle for uh, where that's going to land and the viciousness with which you see that being fought and fought against and you look at it and, and this fight for the unborn and all of this is going on and it just it feels heavy. Then I look at, uh, I'm sure you've heard too with all that's come out with this investigation of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I want to say first and foremost, I'm not up here in judgment or pointing fingers at any denomination or any other pastor, because this is what I realize: I'm, I'm flesh as well. And we're all one decision away from stupid. And it can happen to anybody. But the thing that I realize is, man, that, that, that is a huge issue for the church as a whole. We look at sexual abuse and things that have been covered up and there's so many of what Christians would look at and see these sort of giants of the faith who are falling one after the other. And that's heavy. You feel every gamut of emotions through all of these things. It goes from anger to sorrow and grief to just being sad and hurt for the victims and the families and everything that's happened. And you look at it, and for me, you look at it and you go, how in the world did we get to where we are today? And the answer is very simple, and it's the answer I'm sure you expect to get when you come to church. But when we turn our back on God, in our own pride and arrogance, we begin to walk away from him. And we think that we know best, and we take life into our hands. And our preferences begin to trump his truth. And we begin to move in our own direction. The Bible is very clear that what will follow is destruction. We were not created to live independent from God. We were created to live dependent from God. And the moment we begin to declare our dependence away from him is the moment our trajectory is headed down. And the moment we are headed for destruction, period. And I look at this psalm and... The very first three verses of this, this is so perfect. Actually, Austin Hagen, one of our pastors here, texted me on Tuesday morning, and he said, hey, this made me think about the message on Sunday. And as I began to read it, I was kind of like, this really preaches itself. But you look at the first three verses, and in these three verses, what we see is really a call to worship. It is a call to worship. It is a call to declare the goodness of God, to give thanks to the Lord for his enduring and faithful love to give thanks that he has redeemed us from the hand of a foe, uh, that he's gathered us to be his own. And he's saying, let us give thanks and let us praise. And it's this call to worship. 
And here's the problem we have, and this is where I think for us as Christians, where we begin to head down paths of destruction, this is where I believe what causes us to, to so many times stumble into things, stumble uh, from, from the places we've been with God, for the flame in our heart, for the Lord to go out. When we see these types of things happening, this is what I believe happens. The reason that takes place and the reason we need to have our own personal call to worship every morning when our eyes open is because we are a people who tends to forget. We tend to forget. We tend to be a people who worship based off of felt needs. So when I'm in a place where I feel a need, I'm gonna go to God. But when I don't, my tendency is to move in independence away from God. And we see this in verses 33 to 42. It talks about how God turns rivers into deserts, flowing springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into salt waste, wickedness because of the wickedness. Then he turns deserts into pools of water, parched ground into flowing springs. He brought the hungry to live, founded a city for them, sowed fields and planted vineyards, yielded fruit. The, 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 the herds didn't decrease. They didn't diminish. But then their numbers did decrease. And they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. Pours contempts on nobles and makes them wander in trackless ways. Lifts up the needy. Out of affliction increases their families. The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. And we look at this and we see this cycle that tends to exist with us as believers. That when things are tough and there's challenges and we're facing issues, we have a tendency to look up to God and begin to cry out. There's a more of a likelihood that we're going to come in and sing from a heart that needs God and longs for God and wants God. But then when things get good, we have a tendency to turn and move away from God until the cycle repeats itself and I find myself back in this place of need. And then I turn back towards God and it just seems to be this cycle that keeps going and cycle that keeps going. I believe the issue and the reason for that is because our Worship isn't driven by what Jesus said it should be driven by, spirit and truth. It's driven by felt needs. And that's a very shallow worship. When we really look at this and we realize that we're called to worship in spirit and truth, we're called to worship from hearts that have affection for God, new hearts given by the Holy Spirit. And we're called to worship God for who he is and what he's done, not because of the feelings I have, not a shallow emotion or a want. And when we look at this, this is something that causes our lives even to cycle. Causes us to begin to walk away from God. And here's the thing. You would think after multiple times we would learn. How do we forget the goodness of God? How do we forget it and, and continue over time to walk away Here's the hard truth, right, for all of us, me included. The hard truth is this, that we are stiff-necked, stubborn, selfish people who have an unhealthy fixation on our own desires, wants, and needs. That's pretty much what it comes down to. 
And we see this pattern talked about throughout Psalm 107. I want to kind of go because there's four different stanzas here. There's four different stanzas where he deals with very similar things. And I want us to hit verses in each one as we go through these because we see again this pattern. And I want us to realize some things through this. So in verse 4, he says this. He says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. In other words, these people are coming out of exile. They're still wandering. They're still out there just wandering. And here's the reality. There are people in this room right now, you are still wandering. You still haven't found settledness in your spirit or you had it and then you began to wander again because our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to chase after things that God does not intend for us to go after. Things that are not within his design for our life. And yet our hearts are prone to go after those things, to continue to wander after those things, even when we know this is not going to end well. He says in verse 10, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. He says this is because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. He said there's people who were in darkness, literally in prison and enslaved, bound with chains, like in bondage. And in here right now, there are people who right now are in bondage to different things. There are people right now who are struggling with different things. It could be lust. It could be sexual immorality. It could be drug addiction, alcohol addiction. It could be addiction to pornography. It could be that you're just not a nice person. You're just bitter and angry and you're stuck in your bitterness. And he says these people were in darkness because they rebelled against God's commands. They despised the plans of the Most High. Verse 17, he says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. What he's saying here is, listen, a lot of what they're going through is because of their own foolishness. How many of you have been in that place before where you ended up in the place of destruction and it was nobody's fault but your own. Now we have a hard time admitting that because we're also entitled, but we'll talk about that next week. And so we want to point the blame at everybody else. But the reality is the issue is the person I see in the mirror every morning and it's not my wife standing beside me, it's me. And so we look at this and he's saying, it was their own foolishness that led to some of these things, our own foolish choices that put us in a lot of that bondage. And then he says, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. And you read that one, and at first I was kind of like, all right, Lord, I don't really see the problem in this. They just went on a cruise, right? They were merchants on the seas. And the scholars and the people that are way smarter than me that I was reading about it said they were actually headed back to Jerusalem. They were going back to the place they were supposed to be, the place that God had given them. And I'm like, all right, Lord, like what's going on? But then the Lord really showed me this. You can be headed in the right direction, but still have the wrong heart attitude. 
You can be going through all the right motions and doing all the right things and our heart's still not pleasing to the Lord. We can say all the right things and even sing all the worship songs, but my lips are proclaiming him while my heart is far from him. Then we see the results of these things because independence, pride, arrogance towards God, moving away from God always brings destructions. So we see that our sin, our nature in these things, our, who we are apart from Christ in those verse, verses. But now in five, it says they were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. They're wandering and there's no satisfaction. I think about believers who've been wandering and there's no satisfaction in their life. That flame for God that used to burn so brightly, now it's become a flicker. Or even worse, those who don't know Christ and are still spiritually dead. There's no satisfaction. So we go through life thirsty and hungry, always looking for something that will satisfy. And then down in verse 12, it says, because of their rebellion and the fact that they despised his plans, he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. The frustration of life lived always trying, always grasping at that next thing. They labored and toiled, and yet it was never enough. They were bound to this bitter labor, this fighting in life about the ones who became fools and rebelled and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. In verse 18, it says, they suffered these afflictions to the point that they loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Pursuing their own way to the point of nearing physical death to those who maybe were headed the right direction and going through the right motions, but their hearts still aren't right. He says that they spoke and stirred up a tempest. God stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits ends. In other words, when this storm came, they realized that they weren't able to deal with it themselves. And I think about this and we could look at that and go, well, why would God send that storm? Why would God allow that? If he really loves them, that tends to be what we say. If he really loved me, why would he allow this storm in my life? But see, until there was a storm, there couldn't be a calm. Until there was a storm, they wouldn't lift up their eyes. And we even see God's grace in this storm. And we see all of these. Here's the thing we need to understand. Our waywardness, our running away from God, our declaration of independence from God always leads to destruction. And here's where we get to a lot of times as believers. We think in some way, somehow, I'm going to be able to hide this. Nobody's going to know about this. We don't share it with anybody. We stuff it away in our heart and we think I'm, I can get away with this. Nobody's going to know. We rationalize that it's not a big deal. But Galatians 6, 7 tells us, it says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And here's the thing I can tell you. If you sow to your flesh and to your own desires and, and to our own fixation upon ourselves, then we will reap corruption. It will come to bear fruit. That is the hard truth for us. But in each of these stanzas, 
the people that he's talking about here, because their lives are fading away, because they're in affliction, because they're um, suffering, because of the storm, they finally come to this place, and this is repeated in every stanza. In verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. You know what this is really a picture of? This is a picture of pitiful people who finally realize how small they really are. People who in our own minds, somehow we get to this place that we think we are next to God and we make these decisions for ourselves. And the reality is when the storm comes, we begin to realize how small we really are. I realized this and I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago and it's been something that's been on my mind. And this is hard to think about for me. But understand this, you and I, we can think we've got it all together and have confidence in where we're at in life and what's happening and what's going on. And this is not to cause fear. This is just reality. We can build ourselves up and think we're here and we've got it all and we're propped up on the right things. The reality of it is we're all one phone call away from being driven to our knees. And if my confidence is in me, I've got nothing to stand on. But they cried to the Lord. And now what we're about to see is how much bigger and better God is than we are. They cried to the Lord in verse six, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Here's the picture I get in this. It's like a child. Like I said, this, this person finally realizes how small they really are, and they cry out to the Lord, and it's like a child. The father reaches down and, and pulls them up out of the pit, but then he doesn't just do that. It's like he takes them by the hand and walks them to the place they need to go to. What a great picture of a loving father. It says he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. It says in verse 13, they cried to the Lord and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Verse 16, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Here's the image that I had. It would be like my child is on the other side of these gates. And he is crying out to me. He needs me to come get him. And the thing I can tell you is I'm going to do everything I can to get through those bars to get him and bring him back safe with me. And the picture I get in this is God. And he's saying, you need to understand this. You might be in a really bad place, but the truth of the matter is when you cry out to me, not even hell itself will keep me from coming to get you. It says, they cried out to the Lord and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now think about this. These are people who had gone after their own foolish ways. 
And the Bible tells us this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that God's word is God-breathed. It emanates from God. It has the power of God. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training a man in righteousness will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These people are moving in their own foolishness. They're moving in their own way, on their own path. He sends out his word. He sends out his decree, his declaration. And when they hear it, it does exactly what God tells us his word should do. It should teach us when we're out of line from his design and his will for our lives. It rebukes us. Then it corrects us and brings us back in line and trains us not to get out of line again. And God loves us so much that he gave us his word to show us his design, to show us the best way for us to live and the type of life that brings him glory so that we can be rebuked and corrected and brought back like a loving father would rebuke his son to bring him back in line. And he sent his word and it brought them in line and it healed them and brought them out of their own foolishness. Verse 28, they cried out to the Lord and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. In the midst of the storm, he spoke calm. And the sea settled. And they were taken to their destination. When I look at all of these things and I see our sinfulness, the destruction our sin brings that we sow and reap from, I see where they cried out to God. I see all the ways God delivered them. And then he shows us our response, and this is in each one in a similar way. Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 22, let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. And he's saying, look, if you can see all of this, how can you not worship God? If we can understand our own sinfulness, our own waywardness, our own tendency to wander, our own tendency to lead ourselves into darkness, our own tendency to make foolish choices that lead us toward, towards destruction, our own tendency to even go through the motions of religion but ha have a heart for God, and then we see this, and we see that when we cried out to God, he once again delivered and saved. When we view God and see God that way, how in the world could we ever think that we could do it on our own? How could we ever even want to do it on our own? But again, the issue isn't that God's grace is any less amazing than it's ever been, that his mercy is any less amazing than it's ever been, that his unfailing and unconditional love is any less amazing than it's ever been. The problem isn't that he has changed. The problem is that we forget. When we find ourselves in the desert, in the darkness, in the prison, in the storm that was created by our own doing, it's not because God moved. It's not because God changed. 
hearts are prone to wander. And we need to remember. And he's calling these people to worship for these things that God had done for them. And I would say this to us today, that I believe we have even more reason to worship God because of who he is and what he's done. Because now we look back to Jesus. They were looking ahead to Jesus. We know what God has done for us in Christ. We have seen the wonderful deeds, the marvelous works he did through Jesus. And if you really look at these things that he did for them, all of them were really satisfied, accomplished, completed in Christ. Because when it tells us they were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away, you know who actually fills us, who satisfies us? Matthew 5, 6 says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Jesus in John chapter 7, it says on the last and greatest day of this feast that he was at, he stood up and he said, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I'll give you a drink. And he said, rivers of living water will flow from you. And the Bible tells us that what he was referring to was the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. But he says, if you'll cry out to me and say, Lord, I am thirsty, he said, I'll give you more of the Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? If you're thirsty, you can come and drink, and God will satisfy. We look at people who are bound in the the distress of the darkness, who are in bondage and chains, people who are in their own prison, so to speak, When we look at that today, Luke 4 tells us that Jesus came for that very reason, to set captives free, to proclaim liberty to those who are in prison, to set us free from sin, hell, death, and the grave, that we can truly live and not freedom like we think about in America, there's freedom to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it with. No, freedom to do what you were created to do, which is fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory, which will then ultimately lead you to the greatest satisfaction you will know this side of heaven. To those who suffered affliction, he sent his word and healed them. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, meaning Jesus, the embodiment of all that God had ever spoken about himself. And here's the powerful, incredible thing about that. When John is writing that, he's thinking back to Genesis 1, when the earth was void and formless and dark and empty. But it says the spirit was hovering over the earth. And God began to speak and the word of God combined with the spirit of God began to bring creativity into place and it began to bring light out of darkness and things that were dead came to life. And it's the same thing that still happens today when God's word is proclaimed. The spirit empowers the word and it has the same creative and redemptive power that separated light from darkness and gave life out of death. And today when we open his word, when we seek after God when we hear his word it has the same power and same ability to bring us from life to death and separate light from darkness we think about the storms think about Jesus in the boat with those disciples you think about 
the storm is raging and some of you are in this place right now. The waves are so high in your life and the storm seems so violent and is so real right now that you wonder how in the world will I ever get through this? And Jesus is the one who got up and spoke to the wind, to the waves, to the sea and brought calm. See, the word of God has to be more than sayings we put on our refrigerator. It's the truth and it has power. And if the Bible tells us that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding, then there is peace that surpasses all understanding. Even in the midst of the storm, because we know the one who is greater than the storm. When we see all of this, we see Jesus fulfills this. The key to it, guys, listen, is in verse 43. And it says this, it says, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I would ask you this, and here's a challenge for us. Do you have rhythms in your life? Do you have patterns in your life? that puts you in place to continually ponder the deeds of the Lord, to continually remember. As you go through your day, do you just talk to God? You don't have to be in some special place. You don't have to be by yourself. Do you just talk to God? Just sharing your heart, sharing your life, sharing your struggles, sharing the good, sharing the bad, repenting, asking for forgiveness, celebrating what's good. Do you have a rhythm in your life to consistently see who he is in his word, to consistently see who he is and what he's done, who we were and who we've become? Is there a consistent pattern in your life that allows you to be reminded of that? Because his word heals. His word gives life. Is there a consistent pattern and rhythm in your life where you're getting with other believers to encourage one another and remind each other of the gospel, the good news of Jesus? To encourage one another towards the goal of winning the prize for which God's called us heavenward have somebody in your life that reminds you and points you to those things? Do you worship regularly? For sure, it even talks about it in here that let them come together and stole the Lord in the assembly of God's people. Sure, yes, this is important. 100%. Do you worship at other times? Remembering, rehearsing, not driven by felt needs or shallow emotions, but driven by who he is and what he's done. Remembering. We need these things and we need other people in our life to help us 
maintain these things. God didn't create us to do life alone. It's why our connect groups are so important. It's why we believe so heavily in discipleship. It's because you were not created to do this by yourself. And if these rhythms don't exist in your life, these patterns don't exist in your life, then we need to get you with somebody who can help establish those. And all you need to do really is go to that next steps table and we will help you find that because we believe in it so much. But today, my hope, my prayer is that as Chase said during worship, that we would see Jesus, that we would see Jesus with fresh eyes. And today, here's what I know, that there are people here who your hearts wander. There are people here who feel like they're in a desert place. There are people here today who through foolish decisions have found yourself in a wasteland. There are people here today who are caught in some sin, held bondage to some struggle, And you need to cry out to God. So we're going to take that opportunity. And today, I want to pray for you as I pray for me. Because this week, I've been confronted with my own sin. I've had to realize my own declarations of independence in my life. And I want to pray for you as I pray for me as well. I want to pray for us. And I want to tell you this. If today you realize my heart's wandered, man, there used to be a flame. Now it's a flicker. But God, I'm crying out to you and I want more of you. I, I just want you to stand to your feet and let's pray. Stand to your feet as you, you say, God, I, I've wandered. I know I've wandered. My heart's prone to wander. I'm flesh and bone and my heart wanders but I need you Lord today I want you to know that where you're at right now God's hand is not too short to save not too short to reach into that pit and pluck out your soul from the darkness and we're going to cry out to him right now and ask him to do just that Lord I thank you today for your truth, God, it sets us free. We praise you today because the truth sets us free. Thank you, Lord. God, forgive us for the times we take our eyes off of you and we don't remember. Forgive us, God, for the times when we just don't live mindful of you. God, help us to establish rhythms. They're in rhythm with your heartbeat to be reminded of your goodness. Lord, that we've strayed, but God, your hand reaches down to save. Lord, would you give us more of your spirit, more of your presence in our life? God, we sing songs that talk about how all we want is you. God, I pray that that would be the true cry of our hearts, that we wouldn't sing that with some type of uh, lip service, but God, it would be our true heart that we truly long for you and want you, God. 
Lord, I pray today that we would be constrained by the Holy Spirit to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. I pray we would consider him and that we would run this race with perseverance, knowing that he is with us. I thank you that your grace is sufficient in all things. I thank you that when we are weak, we actually find our strength in you, Lord. I pray if we boast, we would boast in the cross of Christ. And God, when we share, when we do tell our story, just as you said in your word right here in Psalm 107, Lord, when we tell our story, let it not be with words of wisdom and persuasiveness. Let it be with the power of the cross. God, I pray for each person here today that you flood their heart. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for you. We love you, Lord. For the one right now in the storm, Lord, I pray you would speak peace to their heart. Even if the circumstances continue to rage, I thank you that peace would exist in their heart. We love you, Father, and thank you. And we worship you today for who you are and what you've done. I pray we won't forget it. In Jesus' name.